This morning, we continue in our sermon series as we're looking at joy and how we find joy and how God works in our life and in our world. And I've been looking at different Christmas movies as we also look at our biblical texts. And this morning, I'm going to walk us through the scripture, so I'm not going to read it first, so I'm going to read it as we go through the story. But I'm entitling this or retitling this that God has blessed us with a wonderful life. I bet you can't figure out what Christmas movie I'm using for this one. Now, with a show of hands, let's be honest, how many of us have seen It's a Wonderful Life? How many of us have not seen It's a Wonderful Life? Okay, you can be dismissed, go watch a movie and come back. No, you'll get some illustrations, maybe even a little spoiler alerts on here. But the purpose is not to talk about the movie, but really the reason I like to use Christmas movies is because a lot of times they illustrate things within the scriptures and help us to understand and to see sometimes in real life how God's word talks to us and speaks to us today. Because like this morning, we're taking a text that is a story from 2,000 years ago, and it's a Bible passage that my father always used to say, we forget at Christmas. We read all the stories about Mary and Joseph, about the angels, about the, the shepherds. We read the story of the Magi and Matthew of coming to visit of King Herod. And somehow in all of it, even though we talk about Elizabeth, who Mary goes and visits Elizabeth, we miss the whole enunciation of the birth of John the Baptist. Of course, John the Baptist is Jesus' relative. We often call him cousin. We don't know for sure that he's a cousin, but he is a relative of Jesus. And this is the enunciation that takes place to Zechariah, this priest. I was telling this story to someone this last week who didn't know the story, and it was fascinating because the person kept saying, well, what comes next? What comes next? And I thought, you know, hearing it for the first time, it is really an engaging story about this older priest. Now, I used to always think, why is he relevant when I would hear he was older until I got older myself? And I realized this week preparing for this text, Probably Zachariah and Mary were about, or Zachariah and Elizabeth were about Regina and my age, because the Bible just says they were past childbearing years. And the best I can tell you is no, Regina is not going to stand up with an announcement today that we're having another child. And he was now a priest. And so I find some kind of tie in with that. Of course, this was a Jewish priest. But as pastors, we do a lot of the things that would have been done by the Old Testament Jewish priests. You know, we certainly do have the office of taking care of the sanctuary and making sure that we have what we have as our communion that we'll be celebrating in the second service. But with this older priest, he was chosen this day, and we're going to talk about more as we look at the story, to go into the temple, and he went in, and he was lighting the, the incense, and he has this experience where the angel Gabriel comes and tells him that they're going to have a baby, and then the question came, well, what came next? And I said, well, yes, in fact, he, he and Elizabeth um, did have this child, and, the, and Elizabeth does conceive and have a baby, but before that happens, he doubts the angel, and we hear that in the story, that he goes, how in the world can this be? He first gets afraid, and then he says, how in the world? Could this actually take place that somebody like me or somebody like my wife could get pregnant at this time? And I said, and then 
what happens is the angel says to him, well, because you didn't believe, you're not going to speak for nine months. And the person said, no, you're kidding. I said, no, for nine months. I go, wow, that, that's amazing. And I said, it is. It's an amazing story. It's also a story that Regina wishes would happen in our life a lot of times, that I would shut up for nine months, but it's not happened. It's hard for me to keep my mouth shut for nine minutes, let alone nine hours. Nine days, nine months seems like unimaginable. But of course, Zachariah cannot speak for nine months. And then finally, when it comes time where his mouth is opened, it's in the declaration of the name of this child. This child will be called John. Now, that's a beautiful, wonderful old story, but sometimes we read it and we say, now, so what is there in it for me? Why do I read it? What is helpful? And that's, again, where I hope that sometimes in telling other stories and finding how they intersect, we take a narrative like this and we say, okay, I'm starting to see why that story is important for me to learn. Why that story of that older gentleman going in on that day into the temple and having this experience, how does that relate to my life and to our life, and what do we get out of it? Well, that's why I'd like to just start also with a little bit about the movie It's a Wonderful Life. For those of us who have seen it, we know it's a story of George Bailey. And of course, George Bailey is sort of this obscure figure who's living in this little town of Bedford Falls. And if there's anything that would characterize his life, it's always doing the next right thing. He's just a guy who no matter what comes along, he does the next right thing and constantly is self-sacrificing in it. He's living a very good life. And as we watch his life, we go, wow, that's the way I would like to live my life. We all would like to be that way. We'd all like to be self-sacrificing and thinking of others and putting others first. But then we also discover in that story that he does get discouraged because sometimes he asks himself, what's it all worth it? You know, I have these other dreams and plans and big things I'd like to do with my life. Should I always just be thinking of others and doing the next right thing? And that's kind of where I see, first of all, him intersecting with with the person of Zechariah. Because I'm going to go through a series of words that I want us to think about in the story of Zechariah and Zechariah and Elizabeth. And the first word is the word godliness. Godliness. We're told as we look in Luke chapter 1 that in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah, And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both, listen to these words, righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statues of the Lord. Just like sort of George Bailey in the the movie. Zachariah's a good guy. Anybody that would have met him would have said, this is just a decent man. This is a person who loves his wife and his Wife loves him, and they serve the community, and they just seek to do the right thing. His very name, Zechariah, means the Lord has remembered. And then we're told about Zechariah and Elizabeth, these interesting words. They walked blamelessly. Now, we might think that that means that they're absolute perfect and have attained some level of human perfection, but that's not at all what the text is telling us. It actually takes us right back to the story of Abraham and Sarah, And if you look at Abraham, what he's told is to walk blamelessly. It means to differentiate ourselves from our society. 
Don't just compromise when the world compromises. If we see things in our society that we don't like, rather than sitting around and saying, oh, I can't stand what my society is like, learning to live differently. You see, in the first century, their society had moral corruption and a lot of compromise. But Zechariah and Elizabeth were people who rose above it. We're even told in the first century that there was a lot of corruption within the priesthood. But Zechariah wasn't one who compromised. He wasn't skimming money off for himself and thinking about himself. Again, I come back to the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. At the beginning of the movie, there's this wonderful little scene where they've, it's kind of like these stars. It's really fascinating to watch. I think the movie is from the 1940s. And so the technology is certainly not what you have today. But you got that, like, it looks like these little planets and stars and they're coming together and they're talking together and you all of a sudden discover that these are angels talking to each other and they talk about this one angel, Clarence. And Clarence the angel is the one who's going to come down this day to Bedford Falls and he's going to intersect with the life of George Bailey. And the one angel says about him, goes, why would we send him? And I quote, he's got the IQ of a rabbit. And the other angel said, yes, but he's got the faith of a child. Simple. You hear the godliness? It's not about doing big things. It's not about moral superiority. It's that every one of us can live godly lives no matter what's around us. We can all have a simple, basic faith. We can all learn to just trust No matter what's going on, no matter what our heads tell us, no matter what's happening in society, we can just trust and choose to do the right thing. But that brings us to our next word in our text, or as I look at the text, and that's the word challenges. It's interesting because now you have Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they're living a morally good life. They're trusting in God. They're godly. But then the text tells us in verse 7 something that would have been deeply alarming in the first century. But they had no child. Because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. They had no children. And now they were old. And their time of having children was behind them. And even though they had prayed throughout their life and asked God, the one blessing that we're, we're seeking is a child to carry on our heritage, to be the child that we can love and cherish just as others have, in their life, it never happened. And remember, they were in the first century and there's no place for them to turn to help. They couldn't go up to Boston to a fertility clinic and meet with doctors and have all the things that become assumptions in today's world. In the first century, this news of not being able to have a child literally meant they were not going to have a child. And they'd had to learn to deal with this. And not having a child in the first century was also seen as a shame. Because children were seen as God's blessing. And so a woman often would feel as if she was somehow less than someone else. And a couple would would go through life and feel like God hasn't really blessed us the way God's blessed other people if they didn't have a child. Now I understand, we live in a different world today. We live in a time in which certainly children matter and are important. But I don't really think that people go through life the same way today that they would have in the first century. But we have our own things today that become our own challenges. You see, the the point of all of that is living a good life and trusting in God does not guarantee that everything's going to go perfect in your life. And that's one of the problems that people look at too often. They somehow think that 
well, if I have faith and I live the right way, then God's just going to give me blessing upon blessing. Again, that's what I like about George Bailey. He lived right, but he had his own challenges. He didn't make enough money. He was really quite poor. That becomes apparent at one point where he's asked about what he has and has nothing but a life insurance policy. He was in a dead-end job that he didn't enjoy. He didn't like his work. And he's confronted one point in the movie by old Mr. Potter who says, I think the only person who hates your job more than I do is you. And George has to agree to that. And he lived in a drafty old house. You see, we mistakenly want to believe that faith means that we'll have no challenges, and that's not true. If you come to Faith Community Church to hear us preach a message that if you trust in God, you're not going to have any problems in your life, that's not what the Bible teaches, and that's not what we teach. The Scripture makes it clear that we go through life, and God loves us and watches over us and with us, and we have a friend and a Savior in Jesus, but life still has its challenges. But you know, in the midst of the challenges and the things that happen, the question is, what do we look at? Do we look at the negative or do we see the God incidences because they're all around us? Every single day as we live our lives, God is active and working and we can see God's hand. We can see it in how he's working in your life and my life, how he's working in our family's life, but it requires us to look for it. Because if we just see the good things as coincidences and go through our life as a woe is me person, life can get pretty discouraging for for people of faith. In our text, we're told that Zechariah, verse 8, was serving as a priest before God when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, and he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. Well, what's fascinating is in the first century, there were 18,000 priests. And the very duty that Zechariah does was chosen twice a year. So 18,000 priests, twice a year, if you live to be 90 years old and, and you became a priest at 20, that gives you 70 years, that gives you 140 out of 18,000 chance of being drawn. That was a big deal. That was a great big deal for him. He would have been all excited because this was a chance of the lifetime. This was a one opportunity for him to get to do something that every priest wanted to do, to be the one who gets to go into the temple. This day was a God incidence and not a coincidence that Zechariah was chosen. How do we view the events in our life? Frequently they'll make a huge difference. Do we just see them as coincidences and say, oh, that's nice? Or do we see God's hand and God's working? It got me thinking back to a particular date. I went back and I looked it up. It's March 28, 1981. It was a Saturday at about 5 o'clock in the afternoon. And I was a college student. I was a junior in college at Fort Wayne Bible College in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I went down to my friend Joe's room, and he and I were talking. We didn't have anything to do, so we decided that night to go out for pizza. To Godfather's Pizza. Now, isn't that just the most exciting thing you could ever hear of? So we get in the car, and Joe was driving, and that's important in the story, because sometimes Joe drove, and sometimes I would drive. Joe was driving, and walking on that side were two young women. I really didn't know either of them. I'd seen them around campus, but I'd not thought anything 
much of either of them. One was named Lorraine. I will not tell you the name of the other one. But Joe rolled down his window and said, hey, would you like to go out for pizza with us? And I said, huh? And he said, yeah. And they said, sure. Now, unbeknownst to me, Regina Springer had dorm duty that night. But she had always been Regina. If you've gotten to know my wife, she'll always do anything to help people. And so that night, she said, sure, I'll go. And she hurried in and she said, you know, I've done 20 dorm duties for you. How about if you cover dorm duty for me tonight? And somebody said yes, so everything aligned. And Regina and Lorraine got in our car and we went to Godfather's Pizza. And as they say, the rest is history. Was that a coincidence? That's how I met my wife. Just a simple little thing that just happened to happen. And I've thought about it. Had all those things not happened, we weren't thinking about each other. We didn't have classes together. But that night, with everything aligning, Stan and Regina met. Zechariah has that moment where 140 times in his life, he has the opportunity to be the priest who gets to go in and light the incense. In this day, it happens. But then the next word that we see here, it's when any time God's working in our life, how do we respond? We get afraid. Fear is always present. And we're told that there appeared an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. I know fear is real, because 365 times the Bible tells us to not be afraid. Fear is real. Frequently, fear aligns with God's direction in Scripture. When Mary is told she's going to be the mother of Jesus, she's told, do not be afraid. When Joseph is told to take Mary as his wife, the angel says, do not be afraid to take Mary as your, as your wife. When the Apostle Paul is out preaching, he's told, don't be afraid. You see, fear is a natural response to God doing something in our life. And again, I go back to our movie. The beginning of the movie is really all about fear. We find a young man, George Bailey, who's afraid. He's terrified. And all the decisions and all the things that he does as that movie begins is all around him being afraid and the decisions and the ways in which he treats his wife and his uncle and a person that is a school teacher for his daughter. It's all based out of fear. The prayers of Bedford Falls that night is really, George is afraid, God help him. We get fearful when God calls us out of our comfort zone, but you want to have the good news? God's going to call you out of your comfort zone over and over and over and over and over in your life. That's what God does. If you're following God, God's going to call you out of your comfort zone because the things that God wants you to do always stretch you Always stretch me. God doesn't just give us an easy, simple life to just do the things that we like and, wow, isn't that a great blessing? God's work in our life is to call us to something new, call us to a new challenge, call us to going in new directions. And that's exactly what takes place with Zechariah. But the next word that I'd like to share to the text is the word joy. Because the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, verse 13, for your prayers have been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear a son, and you shall call his name John. And listen to these words, verse 14. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. 
I don't think the angel was quite telling him yet about the sleepless nights in the first few months. That wasn't where the joy was going to be found, but the joy would certainly be coming. Joy, it's a Greek word kara here. It's joy that comes from good news. When something good takes place, we need to learn to rejoice and celebrate it. I would say there are three things in life that help us change. Consistency, communication, and celebration. Want to make a positive change in your life? Learn to intersect those three in your life. Learn to be consistent in something. Learn to communicate. Tell somebody else when you're struggling or when we're having a problem. But learn to celebrate. Take our victories as victories. Look at the little things that are positive that happen and celebrate them. And that's what the angel's saying. Saying, Zechariah, you get to celebrate and your wife gets to celebrate and all of Israel is going to celebrate. I love the moment in It's a Wonderful Life where George has had all this fear. The whole movie's taken place. It's at the end and, and we now see that he's come to terms with who he is and he comes back home and his wife is celebrating because there's good news. It's exciting, George. The entire town has come out and helped us. Everybody loves you and cares about you. She says, now you stand right over here, right by the tree, right there. And don't move, don't move. I hear them coming now, George. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. What takes place is she's excited by the good news. Sometimes, folks, we get ourselves messed up because we can't celebrate the good things in our life. Something positive is happening, talk about it. Tell somebody about it. Testify to what God's doing in your life. When we do it, it makes all the difference because as we speak God's celebration in our life, our lives get better. When we allow ourselves to dwell on the negative, our lives just get torn down. So much of finding God's will in our life and finding contentment and satisfaction in our lives is about learning to be positive about what God is doing and seeing God's hand in everything, in every part of our life and learning to be able to say, look at the good things that are taking place because, you know, it's kind of the... Is the Glass half empty, is a glass half full? Or are we thankful we got a glass? We need to learn to be positive, folks. Far too often, we let that fear and that doubt grip us. And that is the next word, is the word doubt. Because Zachariah is a kindred spirit to the 21st century Christian. He's got his anxieties, he's got his concerns, he's got his fears. And he says in verse 18 to the angel, how shall I know this? Doesn't that make sense? I'm an old man. And my wife is advanced in years. Remember, what did Zachariah's name mean? What did Zachariah's name mean? The Lord remembered. His very name was a testifying and a testimony to the fact that he should believe that God's faithful. He was named the Lord remembered. And yet at this point, he feels, come on, God forgot about me. Now, if he had thought about the scriptures, the guy's a priest. He spent his life telling people about the Old Testament scriptures. He would know that there's two times in the Old Testament, the very scriptures that he would share with others. Two times that older people were blessed with children. Hannah and Elkanah, parents of Samuel the last of the great judges, and of course, uh, 
parents of all of the faith. Sarai, Sarah, and Abraham, well advanced in years when God had blessed them. And still telling those stories, testifying as a priest, living a godly life, being a person who saw, wow, isn't it amazing God chose me today to go to the temple? He still had his doubts. So it gives us a little bit of comfort, doesn't it, when we doubt? Because every one of us gets to those moments in our life when we doubt. When we're shaken in our faith and we're saying, is God really here? How do I really know? How do I really believe? Am I really going to be able to get through this? But doubt, if it stays as doubt, can take us down. If fear is where we live, we will live in fear. But remember that word joy. God said, celebrate. Look at the good. Don't look at the negative. And therefore, the last word I'd like to share with you out of the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is the word is acceptance. Acceptance. Because in the end, that's what happens to Zechariah and that's what happens to Elizabeth. First of all, this is why he has to accept. Verse 20. And behold, you'll be silent and unable to speak until the days these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. Verse 24. His wife Elizabeth conceived. Now, it's interesting. The Bible commentators argue over whether or not the nine months of silence was a curse, sort of a punishment, or was it part of the promise? Because the next words he gets to speak is after the baby's born, he gets to name the child. He has nine months to come to terms and accept and think. And as I said, in our household, if I was quiet for nine months, Regina would have nine months that she would be able to think. She'd find that probably a pretty good thing. Although I would think after eight months, she would probably want me to say something again. Elizabeth and Zechariah got to accept a new reality. We're too old for this turned into, hey, we're first-time parents. Can't you just see Zechariah and Elizabeth starting their little play group for all the 20-year-old couples? <laughs> like, we got a new play group at the temple. All new first-time parents get to come. You got the couple who's 20, the couple who's 23, another couple who's 23, one who's 27, a really old couple who's 32, and there's Zachariah and Elizabeth going, wow, this is great. Come on, folks, let's all play together. Acceptance. That's really what the story ultimately, I believe, is all about, is learning to accept. Learning to accept and live life on life's terms. And it's a wonderful life. Clarence the Angel comes to earth and gives George a gift. Do you know what the gift is? To accept his life as it is. That's the gift. George, you've really lived a wonderful life. Now accept it. It's not going to change. The angel doesn't come and give him a million dollars or come and make life different or give him a different job or give him a new house. The angel comes, the little angel Clarence comes to help him learn to accept life on life's terms. The story of Zachariah and Elizabeth is an older couple that didn't feel like God's blessing had been there and now they felt their time was past and now it was time for them to have the child. So they got to learn to accept life on life's terms. That's quite a Christmas story, folks. 
because we cause a lot of havoc in our life when we don't accept. And we fight against the things that are happening rather than just saying, you know, we're okay where we are. God has us where we are. God's with me. Jesus forgives me. The Holy Spirit's working in my life. And I can trust that God's doing his work. Acceptance is the key to all of our problems in life. And I know that often we don't want to hear that, so I will say it again. Acceptance is the key to all of our problems in life. Because so often, when things don't go the way that we want them to go, and sometimes some really awful things happen in our lives, once we can learn to accept, we can find that God has something for us to do right where we are at that moment. I love the story of Zechariah. And I hope you'll take time this week to go back and read it. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. Go back and read it. And actually, after you've read that, then the end of the story comes at the end of the chapter as you hear about him naming John. Mom and Dad got to celebrate. And of all of Israel got to have the man who becomes a forerunner of our Savior, the one who prepares the way for Jesus. See, here's the thing in our lives. God's working, and God's doing something special. And God designed you and me exactly the way he wanted to design us, and we are okay right where we are. But it's important for us to learn how God is working in our life right now, not how we can change things to make them better for ourselves. Once we can learn to accept and find our place in God's plan and God's purpose, we really do discover that it is a wonderful life that God has given to each one of us. Amen. At that time in the service, we just take a moment just to pause, just to breathe where we are, to let the words that have flowed and washed over us in this sermon to sit and to resonate with us, for us to be still. So I welcome each and every one of you just to take that moment, just to breathe, just to be still. Hearing the words of acceptance, accepting where we are, that God is with each and every one of us, in all of the situations and places in our lives. That Christ has forgiven us and has loved and loves us deeply and completely. That the Holy Spirit is at work in our lives. Just to take a moment to breathe and to listen. To listen where, where God is asking us to accept that he has knitted each and every one of us in the womb of our mother and has placed us in this time and space for a purpose. Just to be still for a moment.
that during this season of far too much busyness and so much commotion and so many other things that tend to pull us away, for us to take a moment and to deeply listen and hear his call to us. And in this silence, we offer up this prayer. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you for this opportunity to come together as your children, to worship and praise your name, to come before you with an open heart, an open mind, so that you can pour into each and every one of us into the places in our hearts, into our minds, into our souls that only you can fill. Thank you for your love, your deep, unconditional love of sending Christ into the world to be our Redeemer, to go before us, to bear a cross for each and every one of us, and to do so so lovingly so graciously. Thank you for sending the Holy Spirit upon us, moving within us, stirring within us, making God moments in our lives where we can stop and reflect and just say, praise you. Thank you. We are happy and grateful to be children unto you, to a God who looks down upon his children and whispers to each and every one of us here and beyond these walls that we are loved, we are cared for, to accept where we are within your kingdom, advancing it in each and every opportunity that we have. We pray all this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.